Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. That's a beautiful psalm, and it starts out with something that I think each and every one of us ought to pray about, and that's this hunger and this thirst for God. He says, I I thirst for God like a deer panting after water. And and you just got to ask yourself, how long has it been since I really felt that way about my God? I mean, how long has it been since you just, you couldn't wait to crack open the scripture and begin to read, or you couldn't wait to get home to a a prayer closet and, and call upon God? How long has it been since we've had a desire that was, that was uncontrollable to be in God's house with God's people singing praises? And there was this thirst that David had for the things of God. And unfortunately, in the church, many times today, that is missing. And, and that leads to problems. And one of the things that it leads to is a discouraged soul. I want to talk to you today about help for the discouraged soul or the downcast soul. In verse 11, we find the words that are repeated throughout the passage. And in fact, they spill over into the next chapter. He says in verse 11, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The psalmist asks the question, Why are you cast down? And that's a good question to ask. And there are times when every one of us struggle with discouragement and despair. There are times when we could perhaps say, why am I down and why am I cast down? And the psalmist goes on and he already has the answer to being downcast. He says, hope in God. When we're discouraged, we put our hope in God. When we don't know where uh, tomorrow's food will come, we put our hope in God. When we don't know what the doctor's report's going to say and we don't know where the cure's going to come from, we put our hope in God. As a nation, when we look around us and see the moral decay in our land, as Christians, sometimes we wonder if we'll even survive, and yet we put our hope and our trust in God. Maybe our family situation is dire and and we're wondering if we're going to make it, if we're going to survive, if we're going to stick this thing out. And at those times, we put our hope in God. David knew the answer. And then the reason for the hope is very clear in that same statement. He says, my salvation and my God. The reason we can have hope in the midst of all of this is because of the God we serve. We live in a world, don't we, that is filled with discouraged souls. It doesn't take long for us to look around and find someone that is seemingly carrying so much that they can barely walk upright in this land that we live in discouraged folks all around. There's people that have given up, people that have just accepted that life will never get any better than it is. They're discouraged. They're in despair. They feel hopeless. There's people that have lost all hope. They've just accepted that this is my lot in life and it will never get better. They're downcast. And the truth is there's not a soul here today that is immune to discouragement. Just because you walked in here today as a, as a member of a church or carrying your Bible or even the fact that you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, even though we have heaven waiting for us, not a single one of us is immune to being discouraged. We struggle with it. And you find throughout Scripture that great men and women of God, no matter how great they were and no matter what good they accomplished in this life, they often suffered with bouts of discouragement or as we would say today, depression. It's something that people struggle with. We struggle for many reasons. Sometimes it's because of a lack of things. 
Neil Anderson said this, and I love his words. He says, perhaps God brings us to the end of our resources so that we can discover the vastness of his. And maybe that's exactly where you are today. Maybe you've come to the end of the line. You have nothing left, and, and, and you're exactly maybe where God wants you. Because it's there that you discover how much God has. Alan Redpath, the theologian, said, For every discouragement has been allowed to come in us, or to us, in order that through it we may be cast in utter helplessness at the Savior's feet. If we had never found a broken heart, if we'd never been discouraged, if we'd never been in despair, maybe we'd never had spent time on our knees or on our face crying out to the God who loves us. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. It's God's megaphone, he says, to rouse a deaf world. Why am I discouraged, though? That's the question that David asked. We know the results, but why am I discouraged? And I think there are several things that cause discouragement, and, and they all kind of fit together. And the first one is this. Sometimes it's fatigue that causes us discouragement. Sometimes we're just tired. We're just worn out. We're physically, emotionally, or spiritually fatigued. We're more prone to discouragement when we're tired, aren't we? It seems like it's easy to get down when you've been going for so long without taking a break, without having rest. There are times when life just gets a hold of us and it seems like we can't jump off. And yet we have these wonderful things that come along called vacations, don't we? And how refreshed we seem after we've taken some time to get away, to get alone, and to get quiet and just rest. Depression and despair are when we're tired, worn out, and fatigued. Maybe you're here today and you're tired. Maybe life has just got you uh, exhausted. You're prone to depression. Frustration. Have you ever been frustrated? If you're a parent, you've been frustrated, haven't you? I was going to say, if you're a wife, you've been frustrated. But frustration leads to despair. It leads to discouragement. It's easy to get discouraged when things aren't happening the way that we planned them to happen. When things just don't work out the way we planned. Or, or maybe when things are planned out and we've got a game plan to go, and it seems like everything is getting in the way of us doing what we planned. Those interruptions, those things that come along that distract us from the task at hand. And and maybe you've had days like that where you've got your day planned out and it seems like it's one interruption after another. And at one point during that day, you begin to get frustrated because you realize, I am never going to finish what I needed to finish today. Sometimes we get discouraged in times like that. Those interruptions, it feels like we'll never complete what we've got before us. Failure leads us to discouragement, doesn't it? Failure, probably more than anything, is something that, that I, I personally struggle with. I hate failing, and I, I suppose most people hate failing. But man, when we fail, it discourages us. It brings us down. If you are an Oakland Raider fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? <laughs> I can't say Dodgers anymore. They're in first place. But failure, it, it will bring us to despair. Ellen Montgomery, the author of Anne, Green, Anne of Green Gables, said, next to trying and winning, the best thing is trying and failing. And I read that and I thought, that's a strange statement, but the reality is that is so true. 
It's better that we try and that we do something and not succeed at it than not try at all. And really, the risk that we take when we attempt to do things is we risk failure. But God honors and he blesses us. One author said, you make mistakes, but mistakes don't make you. And I like that also. Because we're prone to failure. It is going to happen. And yet we seem to get discouraged when we fail. Fear can lead us to discouragement. Fear. Fear can paralyze us, can it? It keeps you from moving forward. Fear brings discouragement and despair without any evidence or without any reason for it to even be there. There are moments in our lives when maybe we're gripped by fear and we're not even quite sure what we're afraid of. And that fear discourages us, but we must overcome fear. Paul told Timothy that the spirit of fear does not come from God. When God called Joshua to lead the nation of Israel, he stressed that Joshua should, be not, should not be afraid. That he should be bold and courageous. And so fear can lead us to discouragement. But we have to overcome discouragement. In the first Samuel, or first Samuel chapter 30, we find an interesting record of events. David, King David, before he has actually taken the throne, he's been running from King Saul. David has been anointed to be the next king of Israel. And if you are the existing king, of course, that's probably not going to sit well with you. And it didn't sit well with Saul. His jealousy and his insecurities got the best of him. And he sought with all his heart to kill David. And so David begins fleeing through the wilderness and hiding in caves and wandering off to different places. And eventually David finds himself going to the enemy's side. He finds that maybe the safest place for him to be so that King Saul would not kill him would be that he'd go over and live among the Philistines. And so he did that. Probably wasn't what God wanted him to do. He probably needed to trust God more. But he decided to dwell among the Philistines. And he made a friendship with the king of the Philistines. And that king began to trust David. He began to see all the good that took place in David's life. And so he eventually begins to go out to war. And in one instance here, he is going to go out to war. And the king of the Philistines is going to go to war against the nation of Israel. David's nation. And the king calls David and he says, I want you to go with my men to battle. And so David willingly goes. He gathers up his men and he's going out. And some have speculated that maybe he went to to try to mess things up for the Philistines. And, And yet others wonder if he would have stayed true to those that were protecting him at the time. But he goes out to battle. And the only thing that kept him from war that day was that the Philistine generals didn't trust him. They turned around and they looked and they said, Isn't this the David that slew Goliath, our giant? Isn't this the one who the Israeli women, when he went marching back into town, said David has killed his tens of thousands and our king has put him behind us? They didn't trust David. And so they protested and David eventually left the battlefield and he returned home to Ziklag. When David gets home in chapter 30, what he finds that while he's been out destroying nations and villages and capturing land and plunder... Another group of people have come into his city, and they have taken his land, and they have kidnapped all of the women, the wives of these soldiers. They've all been taken away. None were killed, but they've been hauled off into captivity. And we find in chapter 30, verses 3 through 6, I think one of the moments when you would have to say discouragement had set in. It says, and when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire. And their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. 
Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and they wept until they had no more strength to weep. That's discouragement. That is finding yourself at the lowest moment when you have wept until you have no more strength to weep. You've reached the point of being a downcast soul. David's two wives had also been taken captive and the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. And so David is there and he's mourning his own losses. And he turns around and all of his men who have been faithful to him, who have served with him, who have marched with him, all of them are kind of looking at David with a bitter heart. They're saying, we followed you and we trusted you and we, we put our lives in your hands and now we come back and everything that we've ever had at home is gone. It's been taken from us. And they even thought about stoning David. They wanted to kill David. I'll tell you, I think David had probably reached a point of discouragement. When you look around and not only are you struggling to just get by, but seems like everyone has turned their back on you, that's a discouraging moment. When even your closest friends have turned away from you, that gets discouraging. When those who have known you the longest and known you the best and have always been there, when they have given up on you, that's discouragement. And David reached that place. But I want you to catch the last sentence there. It says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. The King James reads, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. And brothers and sisters, there are times when we have to encourage ourselves. There are times when there may be nobody near us that can lift us up. Maybe your, your brothers and sisters in Christ will not always be there. You may be in the middle of the week, or you may be in the middle of the country traveling, or, or you may be somewhere where no one you know is, and you are struggling with discouragement, and you and I have to know how to lift ourselves up out of that. There may be times when you look to the ones you love the most, and it's, it seems like many times it works well. When one is down, the other's up. And man, marriage is wonderful when it's that way. When I'm down, it seems like Kathy's up and she'll pick me up. And when she's down and discouraged, then, then I'm up and I'll pick her. But I'll tell you what, it gets bad when you're both down. There are times when we have to encourage ourselves in the Lord. We've got to do it ourselves. And there are a few things that help us to do that. And the first is this, is that God gives me strength to rise above my challenges. Sometimes I just need to be reminded. I need to remind myself that no matter what I'm facing, God will give me the strength to rise above it. That it's not dependent on how strong that I am. It's all about how strong the God I serve is. That I might not be able to make it through this next trial, but I serve a God who is certainly more than capable of making it through that trial and not just making it, of carrying me on his back as we get through it together. Sometimes we have to encourage ourselves in the Lord by just reminding ourselves that God's strength is enough to get us through. In Habakkuk, we find a a wonderful verse of Scripture. It says, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. He says, he's my strength, and and he makes my footing so sure and so steady that even in the roughest of mountains, he says, he allows me to ascend the hill and climb to the top and make it over whatever I'm faced with. In Eugene Peterson's 
passage of scripture, the same passage in modern English. He says that God makes him feel like the king of the mountain. And I like that. We've got to encourage ourselves by reminding ourselves that God's strength is enough. We also encourage ourselves by being reminded of God's love in the scriptures. It's at our lowest moments that we need to pick up this God-given book, this holy Bible, and open it up and begin to see how much God loves us and how much he cares for us and how powerful that he is. We've got a ready source whenever we're discouraged. This is the counselor we should go to. God's word. St. Augustine said, the holy scriptures are our letters from home. Think about that. What an amazing statement. We've got soldiers all across the world, it seems, right now. And the future doesn't look much brighter. It seems like there's wars breaking out everywhere and threats of wars. But one of the amazing things that you hear about as these soldiers go off into foreign land is how encouraging it is to them to get a letter from home. I mean, can you imagine being away from family and friends and being in a dangerous environment and and all around you is danger and turmoil and then this one moment comes in and the leader of the troop walks through and he says, I've got letters from home, boys. And man, the place erupts. And Augustine said, God's word is like letters from home. It's God writing to us, telling us that we're going to be okay, that he's going to help us through this. The problem is, we don't open the letter and read it. When we're going to encourage ourselves, we need God's Word. Someone said the remedy for discouragement is the Word of God. He said, when you feed your heart and mind with its truth, you regain your perspective and find renewed strength. This is where we'll get the strength to carry on. And I can encourage myself in the Lord by knowing this, that I can always talk to God when I'm discouraged. That when I turn around and no one else is there with me, God is there. And I can always talk to him. You ever had those moments as you march off into battle and, and you're just going at it and you turn around to realize you're the only one doing it? You can always talk to God when no one else will listen. Phillips Brooks made a statement one time, and it is so powerful. About prayer, he said this, Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. Then the doing of your work shall be no miracle, but you yourself shall be a miracle. We can always talk to God. And I'm not so so certain that our prayers should be, God, take it away from me as much as God give me the strength to get through this. Because these trials absolutely make us stronger in the end, don't they? Philippians said this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't be downcast. Don't be discouraged. Don't find yourself in despair. Rather than that, he says, go to God in prayer. Talk to him. Call out to him. So I have to be able to encourage myself in the Lord. And not only that, but we also have to be willing and able to encourage others in the Lord. That's so important, isn't it? If we live in a world filled with discouraged people, how important it is that we know how to encourage them. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 14 says, 
And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. We need to encourage others. John Maxwell, I love John Maxwell's writings. Maxwell said this, Remember, man does not live on bread alone. Sometimes he needs a little buttering up. (laughs) I think that's true. I mean, we can preach the word and we can sing the songs and we can shake the hands, but every once in a while it requires just a little effort on our part to encourage folks. Corey Ten Boom said this, What a sad mistake we sometimes make when we think that God only cares about Christians. And so consider that. When we think about encouraging others, it's not just those within these four walls. Because we live in a world filled with discouraged people. And as Christians, it is our responsibility to go and encourage them and lift them up because God loves them. And he cares for them. And if God loves them and cares for them, you and I should love them and care for them. I must be ready to encourage others. And we have things that we can use to encourage others, don't we? We're not without answers. In fact, there are several things. First of all, my church should encourage others. I think more than anything, the place that we should be able to go to find encouragement in life's toughest moments should be the church. Man, when life has beat you up, when everything has gone wrong in the week before, when your friends have stopped being your friends, when your wife has stopped cooking for you, amen. When your kids have stopped listening to you. When your boss is giving you that funny look like you may not be there much longer. I had a friend that worked in the office at his place of employment. It was a chain of fast food restaurants. And he was the secretary to the main person that ran the whole company. And she had a a bulletin board up in her office with all of the names of the employees on that bulletin board. Little magnetic names. And he thought that was interesting, but one day he went in and it was kind of messed up. And so he decided to straighten them up because some of them were crooked. And he got in trouble for straightening them up because he found out later what she did was when someone was on the verge of losing their job, she'd turn their name crooked. And so when your name's crooked, amen, you should be able to go to church and find encouragement. Hebrews 10, we preach on this so much. Preachers love this verse because we preach on it from the aspect of you ought to be in church. And you should be. But listen to what the writer says. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. He's saying, hang in there. Don't waver. Don't tremble because the one who promised God is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. Now, let's be honest. Usually within the church, we're real good at stirring things up, but it might not always be the right things. He said we're to stir one another up to good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some is. And that's where we usually stop preaching right there. Neglect not the, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. And man, we'll hammer that and say, anytime the church doors are open, you ought to be there. And I think you ought to be there. Anytime there's a Sunday service, you ought to be. And I believe that. But the verse doesn't end there, does it? The reason we're to meet in God's house, the reason we're to come together, he says, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Our church 
should encourage others. It should be the place that when you've got a broken heart, you know I've got to get to the church because people love and care about me there. When you've got worries and stress bearing down on you, church should be the place that you say, I've got to get there because I need to hear from God and I need to lift up my voice to God and I need others to surround me with prayer too. I need the encouragement that I can find in church. The church should be a place where people find encouragement. And not only that, my teaching should encourage others. Mine as a pastor, certainly, but by this I mean every one of us. The way that we teach others or mentor others, if you will. The way that we lead others. It should be encouraging. We've got to be careful to encourage people in a loving and compassionate way to live for God. We need to speak the truth. The Bible says speaking the truth in love, doesn't it? And make no mistake, we cannot compromise. We must preach God's word. And God's word is not always what the world wants to hear. Sometimes the truth is exactly what the world doesn't want to hear. And we can't become a church or a people that, that just tell people what they want to hear. We have to speak the truth. But we've got to do it in a loving manner. And we've got to do it in a way that encourages them. Listen to this passage in First Thessalonians about encouragement. Paul said, For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted you, each one of you, and we encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We're to encourage people or teach them like a father would his very own children. And in the right situation, that's in a loving manner, isn't it? Those of you that have children, you you hopefully set your children down and with love and care and concern in your heart, you teach them how to behave. And he says that's the way we're to encourage one another, to live godly lives. We're to do it like a father with his children. So our church should encourage other, our teaching should encourage other, and our words should encourage others. What we say matters. The way we talk to people matters. The Bible says that we are ambassadors for Christ. And what an ambassador does is he goes to foreign lands and he speaks to those people on behalf of the President of the United States. And if we are ambassadors for Christ, it means we have been placed here in this land to speak to people representing Christ. And so the words that we speak are very important. In fact, when we often hear that phrase, what would Jesus do? Maybe we need to attach what would Jesus say to that phrase. And if Christ wouldn't say it, we probably shouldn't say it. Our words are incredibly powerful. They can build up or they can tear down. They can destroy the spirit or they can lift the spirit up. Our words are powerful. The way that you see sometimes people talk to their children. Sometimes it breaks the heart. And you look around and you see people with messed up lives and you wonder who led them down that path. And it may very well have been the way people talk to them. We need to look at each of the children that come into our church and we need to lift them up with our words. Don't don't focus on the bad Lift them up, encourage them. 
my words should encourage the discouraged. Proverbs 12.25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. That someone can come in just worn out from anxiety, from stress, from worry, and a good word, he says, will make him glad again. Our words matter. Ephesians 4 says, Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. How do you use your words? Sometimes we just don't use words at all. There are times when maybe we need to say something, and we don't. There are times when maybe you notice someone and you just can tell they're discouraged, and they're down. And and maybe in our mind we think something like, I'm not going to ask them because I don't have time today. But maybe at those moments we need to say, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? Maybe we need to say something positive to them. You ever had a waitress have a bad day? You come in, and of course, when, once she gets on a roll and she's had one bad table and another bad table, you can mark it down. Your table's not going to be much better because she is stressed out. And what do we do? Sometimes we're tempted to yell and holler at her. Maybe what we need to do is say, hey, slow down. We're okay. You're doing a good job. Keep it up. Our words can be used in such a way. The most powerful thing, though, that we have to encourage others is our faith. Our faith. When it comes right down to it, the most effective way to encourage the discouraged is simply to live out my faith, to be real, to be genuine. Because people get so discouraged in this world, they need to look around them and see somebody that's the real deal. Somebody that has been through struggles or maybe is going through them right now, and yet their faith remains strong in God. Haven't you been encouraged by that? There are times when we walk into this church and maybe we're discouraged about all sorts of silly nonsense from this world around us, and yet one of our brothers or sisters just living out their faith picks us up. Picks us up. There are certain ones that you look, Bob, who's uh, not with us anymore, he's somewhere out there and we can't find him. I'll tell you what, Bob would come in here as hard as it was. He'd make his way to this church in the morning. He'd get here early and it didn't matter if it was raining. Here he comes in that scooter. Parks it in the back, chipped up the sheetrock back there. We don't care. He's here. Right? And then you watch him as it takes him forever to make it down to that second row. And you think, you know, it would be so easy for that guy just to stay home. But he lives out his faith in front of us all. Dan Munyon, Dan's been struggling. We need to keep him in prayer. But he's been riding the dialer right here, and, and they've been making life miserable on him. They show up an hour or two hours late. So finally he said, I, I think I'm going to give Dollar Ride a break for a little bit. He's listening to the sermons online. But Dan impresses me. He'll sit in that back row sometimes, and when we get ready to dismiss between Sunday school and church, you can just see his face turns red as he stands up. The pain that he has, and you think, man, he could, he could just stay home and no one would ever say anything. But he's living out his faith even in trying times. 
We have folks that have been here with cancer. And you, you watch them and you see what they're struggling with and you know they're not feeling good. And yet they come in and they put on a face for God and they live out their faith even though life isn't what they'd like it to be at the moment. And they encourage us. And you know what? Everyone that surrounds you needs to see you living out your faith day by day. If tomorrow the world comes falling down around you, don't lose your mind. Don't go nuts. Say a prayer and let the world know that your God will get you through this. They need to see that your faith is real and genuine. Let them see that even in the darkest of times, I trust the Lord. Romans 1 says, For I long to see you, the apostle writing to the church, I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. And then he says this, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, yours and mine. What do your friends and family see when they watch your life? Do they see your faith? Do they see it alive and vibrant and genuine? The world needs to see faith in action. Faith lived out is far more effective than faith proclaimed. It's easy to say, I trust God. But it's far more effective to show people you trust God. It's easy to talk about faith, isn't it, when everything's going well? Man, when, when life is sending you all blessings, it's easy to talk about faith. When you got a prime rib in the oven on Sunday morning, sure you're coming into church shouting during worship service. Well, what you going to do when you got beans and cornbread on the table at home waiting for you? Some of you still come in shouting and praising the Lord, wouldn't you? But it's easy to praise God when things are well. But when faith is put to the test and remains strong, that is when our faith most encourages others. <laughs> 